either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Some high-profile movies debut this week, and some smaller good ones debut as well. We'll cover them. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com. We'll start with a story that follows the rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a child singing in her father's church's choir to her international superstardom. It's the remarkable true story of the music icon's journey to find her voice. Respect. Honey, find the songs that move you. Until you do that, you ain't going nowhere. I need a change. I want to sing what I want to sing. I got a single by this new chick named Aretha Franklin. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Aretha Franklin. She's a miracle. Well, when you're going to do the story of Aretha Franklin, there's not many actresses who could pull it off without having to lip sync her songs. That's but true. Jennifer Hudson yeah. is not one of those people. She can she can definitely handle it. She has the voice, and she is fantastic as Aretha Franklin in this movie. And anytime there's a music biography, boy, there's there's always such a I don't want to say it's an, an expectation, but I, I'm always kind of surprised when they don't follow that really cliched formula that was honestly so effectively skewered by Walk Hard almost 15 years ago. Yeah. And I know not a lot of people saw that movie, but boy, it just poked all the holes in those formulas that are used so often. And so that's why it's so nice a couple of years ago when we saw something like Rocket Man take a totally different approach yep. and become so effective. But even when they are cliched, even when they are so predictable, they always have that ace in the hole, the hits. Yep. You know, if you're if you're doing a movie about some legendary musician and you roll out the songs, instantly people are gonna feel better. No matter how, <laughs> you know, no matter I mean it worked for Bohemian Rhapsody, it worked yeah. in a big way. And this one definitely has the hits. Uh, the music is fantastic, as you might imagine, but it also has a, a, a nicely intimate take on the story. And I think one of the smartest things that they do, the um, the writer here is Tracy Scott Wilson. The director is Liesl Tommy. They're both making their big screen debut, both have a lot of uh, TV experience. In fact, the writer wrote that Fosse Verdant. Mm-hmm. A series that was mm-hmm. that, that was we didn't see it, but it was apparently so good. First of all, they they bring it obviously they bring a, a female perspective to it, which is important, I think. But also they they don't try to do the entire life. I think where that a, a lot of these biographies get in trouble. Uh, they focus here on just a twenty year period from nineteen fifty two to nineteen seventy two, when Aretha is coming up as a child and then starting her singing career, and most importantly, trying to take control of it. From and get out from under the thumb of her father, played by Forrest Whitaker, of her first husband and manager, played by Marlon Wayans, and from a record company executive, Jerry Wexler, played by Mark Marin. Both very, all three very good. In fact, this whole ensemble is great, mm-hmm. supporting a terrific lead performance by Jennifer Hudson. But I think that's what keeps this movie above, uh, you know, better than most in this genre because you do have some fantastic music performances, but what really scores is the concentration on the personal struggles of Aretha and some things that I didn't know mm. uh, that she had to go through. And and I do like that female perspective because it really becomes a bit of a feminist perspective as well. She's had to 
fight against these males mm-hmm. who wanted to dominate her. Yeah. Even though she was the one with the talent, right. right? Yeah. And she wanted to, and she really didn't get that popular. Her early stuff was all jazz when she was on Columbia Records. And until she started to record what she wanted to record, that's when she became, you know, the Queen of Soul. And so it's those instincts that served her well, and she had to just try to wrestle control of her career back from these men. So it works on that level as well. And uh, But yeah, every time it, it turns to to the music, and of course Jennifer Hudson has such a tremendous voice. And it's great, too, that she doesn't try, she alters her phrasing just a little bit in, in the way she sings and in the way she talks. Other than that, she wisely doesn't try to do an impression of Aretha right. Franklin, because why would you? I mean... You're not going to do it, and she has her own powerhouse talent that she can lean on. She can definitely sing these songs. So, but the uh, the musical performances are great. Uh, the songs are great, but I think they really do a good job steering clear. And if you've seen a bunch of these music biographies, it seems to me that they really were cognizant of trying to steer clear of that formula. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a good job of it. Here and there, it gets a little bit melodramatic, sure. but yeah. they keep it. Intimate. They try to keep it as as intimate as they can on a on a tighter time frame. And the other thing it does that I that I uh, thought was really great, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but you know how much if you've listened to this podcast, you you've heard us go on and on about how great the documentary about Aretha's recording of her gospel album in '72, Amazing Grace, is. If you haven't seen it, oh my lord! Oh, look see it, it see it, see it. Yeah, but this—that's where this movie ends. Right. It ends with the recording of that, and it's almost like an invitation. Right. You know, okay, now you've seen this. If you haven't seen Amazing Grace, it picks right up where we are right now, and it, what a what a glorious double feature that would be. So, uh, if you see this movie. And then if you haven't seen Amazing Grace, please do. I mean, it's 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 a, almost a religious experience. And then you get a taste of the real thing. As talented as Jennifer Hudson is, and again, she's tremendous in this role, then if you went right into Amazing Grace, oh my. Oh my. Just, just the chef's kiss. So uh, <laughs> a recommendation for Respect with Jennifer Hudson out this week. Next is the story of a bank teller discovering that he's actually an NPC inside a brutal open world video game. This is Free Guy. driven a car before. I really wish you'd mention that. Yeah. Yeah. You love you, loser guy! Thank you! Watch out for the... They seem nice. Well, we should probably start with what NPC means because we're not gamers. Not playable character. <laughs> All right, I didn't know he's that. A, <laughs> <laughs> he's a bank teller in a bank that gets robbed a lot, and he's got his best friend who is is played by Lowell Howery, who is the security guard that just his he just drops his gun and hits the floor <laughs> as their bank just gets robbed eight, nine, ten, eleven times a day. And he's you know he's always fun to <laughs> see in fun. a movie. He brings a really a fun uh, presence to things. And Ryan Reynolds, this is just his. Bread and butter right yeah. here. He's you, just you, goofy. You, yeah. you can tell from the trailers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Ken. And he, and he is Endearing, funny. Yeah. yeah. Goofball. He's great. He's great. It's very fun. What happens is he catches sight of a player, an avatar for an actual player, and he just becomes fascinated with her, and he, he just follows her around. And then eventually what he does, he realizes, you know, as Lil Rel Howard tells him, 
we don't talk to the people who wear glasses. <laughs> so those are the characters that are actual characters. And so he just takes somebody's glasses. And then he really can see all this crazy stuff. Almost like they live, huh? Right. It, yeah. It's got a lot, actually. And also a lot of a glitch in the Matrix uh-huh. uh, appeal to it, which is a documentary about how people, there are a lot of people who actually believe that we, right. the human race, we are, in fact, just yeah, players. It's, it's a simulation. Players. Yeah, it's yeah, a that, simulation. That we're just the side characters in somebody else's video game. <laughs> So it has a little bit of that as well. It has all kinds of Ryan Reynolds charm. He's very, very funny. And then in the outside world, we get to pay attention to the player who has taken his, her avatar has taken his attention. And her name is Millie. And she's actually trying to find the secret code that belongs to her. So that because she is suing the company that puts out this game. And the guy who runs the company is Taika Waititi, and that's uh, fun. And uh, the uh, Millie, by the way, is played by Jodie Comer. Oh, sorry about that, yeah. And so it's got the what's happening in the real world versus what's happening in free world, and then a lot of the ideas are about finding your own path, you know, getting out of your rut, doing what you want to do. That's mm-hmm. really... And, uh, and then also I think that because he decides that he needs to level up to get this woman's attention. Sure. And the way to level up... Don't would, we all? Right. The way to level up would be to kill a bunch of people or to rob a bank. No, he's not going to do anything mean. So he starts taking people's guns away from them and he starts returning the sacks of money that they've stolen to where they... And he, so he levels up really quickly by just being a good guy. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing they're saying. Yeah, is sure. You don't have to fantasize about, about killing people and blowing stuff up and robbing banks. You could just fantasize about being a good guy. So that's the other... So anyway... I'm not saying it's rocket science because that would be a blatant lie. (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, uh, its messages aren't even that interesting, to be honest with you. But it's a fun waste of time movie and Ryan Reynolds. And it does get some really funny bits off. And uh, it's rated PG-13. We had one of the hosts on our TV gig this morning ask if it was good for kids. And so it's it's not R-rated. So maybe for the older kids, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if your kids play a lot of video games, it's a nice message that you know you don't have to aspire to be a bad guy. There's no real violence, <laughs> so I think that you're fine. <laughs> and the director here is Sean Levy, who uh, most recently has done a lot of episodes of Stranger Things. And you know what I think is really funny, whether it's intentional or not, but there's a small part by Channing Tatum, <laughs> and he plays Avatar. Right. And I think remember early in his career, people were got him confused with Sam Worthington. Oh yeah, I know. Who, of course, I did. was the star right. of Avatar. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's kind of a. Is it an intentional wink, wink? I don't know, but I think it's funny. But and where's he been? By I the don't way, know. that's what I said. When I'm question. like, uh, where has he been? There are a couple of of actually toward the end of the movie, there is there are a couple of really funny cameos. You know, it's just, it's a fun waste of time. It really is. Yep. Good way to describe Free Guy out this weekend. Just like uh, Respect, this is in theaters only. Yep. Next up is a sequel set in the years following the initial deadly home invasion where Norman Nordstrom lives in quiet solace until his past sins catch up with him. This is Don't Breathe 2. What do you want? You're coming with us, kid. me you need to be scared of little girl but the man standing next to you now i don't know who he is but i know who he's not should i tell her or you he's gonna come for me no 
Yeah, Don't Breathe was a really terrific surprise hit in 2016. And uh, we certainly... They, it not only was it a great premise with a lot of good scares, it had one humdinger of a surprise twist at the end, which if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, we're not going to spoil it. But if you want to see Don't Breathe 2, we highly recommend you see Don't Breathe. Uh, maybe first. Yeah. Uh, maybe first, because this one... Then you get an idea of how, in this movie, they actually are able to take a character that is a bad guy, he does some bad things in the first one, and make him heroic in this part, too. Yeah, it's interesting because he, he does turn out to be a very bad man in the first film. Like, very much, it's, it's really just an about-face of who are the villain and who is not the villain in the first movie. So for me, it's a little bit unnerving for him to go to truly the hero mm -hmm. of the sequel. And part of it just speaks to that's how bad the other people are. And they got to stretch. They got to stretch to make <laughs> these people so bad. Yeah, because in the first one, he was fighting off some home invaders who wanted to steal something from him. And then you found out the bad things that he had done. And you also found out that even though he was blind, you don't mess with him. No. Uh, and he's played by Stephen Lang, oh, who's he's great. So great. Speaking he's of so Avatar, great. yeah, that was one of. He's had a long career, and for a lot of people, he's just the the jacked up older guy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and in this one, you know, obviously he's 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 blind. He plays a blind character again, and he's got some scars, like physical scars, mm -hmm. which he needed to left over from from the first part of the film. Mm -hmm. And he's raising a, a little girl, and she is eight, and she runs into a super creepy dude while she's in town and she doesn't usually get to go to town uh, but she goes with a woman who delivers plants to plant stores and he doesn't like for her to Norman he doesn't like for this little girl to she's training she's in training and sort of uh, like Hannah right. he's, he's preparing her for an eventual need of special skills so when the baddies come calling it's not just Norman who is tougher than they realize and uh -huh. so that's kind of fun yeah uh, this is not as scary a film as the first one. Although it is rated R. It's, oh, it's gory. <laughs> it's nasty. Yeah. But it's 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 a little bit more of a, an, an action film than yeah. a horror film. The yeah. first one was clearly a horror film. And this is is as well. But And it's also not quite as um, claustrophobic. They leave the house. But it's got a lot of the stuff that if you liked the first one, and I assume if you've seen it, you liked it. <laughs> yeah, and we should say this one, the, the original was directed by Fetty Alvarez. This one is written and directed by sort of his right-hand man from right. many, many films. And I know I'm going to not mispronounce it. Rodo Saiguez, I think, maybe. is uh, So he's the writer and director here. And also Madeline Grace plays uh, Little Phoenix. Yeah, so Phoenix is the little girl that, that lives with Norman. You know, there uh, are dogs that are fun and dangerous, and they do some fun things with the dogs, and they do some bad things with the dogs. Be aware of that. I know people have real yeah. trigger about that. Yes, they do. You're right. And it's it's a whole cast that, I mean, where this goes is, again, it really um, strains credibility. You're like, wow, because they weren't bad enough. But I think that it, it overcomes that. The performances are good. It's a very tight film. It's a little bit predictable. I mean, if you're paying attention early on, you have a sense of basically who's going to die in what order and who's going to kill them, that kind of a thing. But still, I think that the performances and the, just the overall unseemliness of the whole film carries it. Yeah, and also, definitely, though, definitely see the original. Oh, uh, for if, sure. If you haven't yet. The original and, is a great horror film. Yes, and also, just like the original, you need to stay through the credits. You do. There is a post-credit scene in this one. Yeah, so another rec recommendation for Don't Breathe 2 out in theaters this weekend.
Next, we have a heartwarming story about Ruby, the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music and her fear of abandoning her parents. This is Coda. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. I've been coaching for Berklee College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. I want to do this. There are plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? I've never done anything without my family before. Here's another acronym. CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults, Mm -hmm. and that is what Ruby is. And this is an Apple TV film, an Apple original film, written and directed by Sean Heater. And this one just reminds you that formula doesn't have to be terrible. It often is. It's not here. And it's just, it's touching, and it's, it's such a breath of fresh air to remind you, that's right, you can take a formula, and you can do it well. I think part of the reason that it works so well is that the entire cast, top to bottom, is just remarkable. Yes. Uh, Ruby is played by Amelia Jones. She's fantastic. Just fantastic. And her, her, her mom is Marley Matlin. Her dad is Troy Kotzer and her brother, Daniel Durant. And they are all hearing impaired. They are all deaf actors. Of course, we know Marley Matlin. She's an Oscar winner. They are great. All the ensemble around there, they, they're, uh, they live in Gloucester, Gloucester, <laughs> Massachusetts. So, of course, they've got a fishing a fishing business, and uh, she is shy, and she wants to sing. Mm-hmm. And she's a very good singer, but she sh- she's shy ar- around people about letting it out. And But she follows her crush to choir class, where a very direct um, choir teacher just tells her that she needs to lose that shyness because she has a talent, so much so that if she really pursues it, he could try to help her get a scholarship to Berkeley College of Music, where he graduated. Mm-hmm. So she's being pushed toward her dream at the same time her family's fishing business is threatened, and she is constantly pulled there as well because she's needed to translate very often uh, for business and for, for safety and for having a, a hearing person at all times on the boat to fulfill some safety precautions and things like that, some rules. So she's pulled, and this is it's a, it's a classic formula of coming of age is she gonna break free is she gonna be herself is she gonna find her specialness i mean at one point the teacher just comes right out and says it find your voice he's saying that to a character who has the only voice in her family and in any other movie that would just be so eye-rolling but it's not here they're all in about it and it has such a command of tone that you buy in it's not shoved down your throat right. where like, oh, look at me, I'm so special. You just, the, the boys look at me and they can just tell. We have none of that. That's none nice. of that angst here because the characters feel real. The stakes feel real. And that's why they can, they can do this and go, you know where it's going. You know where it's going. That, that ending is going to be happy. There's going to be a big choir concert and it's, <laughs> it's going to be very, of course, we know this. But it works, and it's very heartwarming and very touching, and it speaks to the lives of deaf individuals and people like Ruby who are hearing hearing individuals in a family like this. And there's a very poignant moment about how 
Uh, her mother talks about how when she, when Ruby was born, she was actually sad when she found out that she could hear because she was afraid she wouldn't be able to give her what she needed as she grew up. And like, you know, that feels real. And mm-hmm. it's very touching that a mother, a mother would admit something like that to her child. So it's just one of those that you're just so happy to see, even though it checks off all the boxes that you're used to seeing checked off. It does it so in such an earnest and heartwarming way that it's just you're, you, you've got new appreciation for filmmakers that can, that can do this and go all in on a formula like this, but make you care about these characters. Yeah, this cleaned up at Sundance. It was nominated for four, four awards. It won all four of them. Yeah, it won a Best Ensemble. It won Grand Jury Prize, Directing Award, Audience Award. So, yeah, that is cleaning up. And apparently it was also inspired by a French film from a few years back called The Blyer Family. Mm-hmm. So that might be worth looking up as well. Uh, really, really um, recommend this. And, again, Amelia Jones, who can also, I think she did her own singing. It sure seems like she did. She's a very good singer as well and just a fantastic performer. Everybody all around. Well done. It is Coda on Apple TV. All right, let's move from Apple TV to Netflix. Following a tragic car accident in Greece, Beckett, an American tourist, finds himself at the center of a dangerous political conspiracy and on the run for his life. It's Beckett. Turn yourself into the police. If I do that, I'll be dead in 30 minutes. This is a movie that feels like it was inspired by some 70s thrillers. Oh, remember some of those Euro thrillers? You had the Parallax View or Mm -hmm. the Osterman Weekend (laughs) from from the the mid-70s. Yeah, it definitely has a feel. And this is, let's get this out right now. The director and co-writer is... Ferdinando Cito Filamarino. <laughs> nice, huh? Let's go for Italian tonight. Uh, and John David Washington plays Beckett. And, you know, even though overall the, the jury may still be out on just how many of the acting chops he um, he got from his dad, Denzel, I'll tell you what, he can do physicality as oh, well yeah. as anybody. Yeah, he can. And he definitely puts that to good use here because after his, his girlfriend, April, is played by Alicia Vikander, and after they get into a car accident, it, it go, the car goes off this steep hill and it rams right into this house at the bottom. And as he's getting out, he catches a glimpse of something that he shouldn't. And because he caught a glimpse of that, his life is suddenly in danger, although he doesn't know why. And he is on the run. And immediately the cops, the local cops, tell him that his girlfriend April is dead, but they won't let him see the body. So that's... That's one of the first non-bloody reasons why he decides he can't trust these cops. And so he's on the run, even though he's hours away by drive, in, by the car, he's hours away from the U.S. Embassy. He sets out on foot to beg, borrow, and fight his way there and try to get uh, to safety. So it's a lot of fighting. It's a lot of that feel. Yeah, the political thriller from the 70s. It does have some, some dry stretches um, where you're trying to piece together, he's trying to piece together uh, why he's being targeted. Uh, Vicki Creeps, who's been a lot of things lately. Yes, she has been. She pops up as an activist who gives him a ride and gets involved in his story a little bit. And it's perfectly satisfying. It is perfectly satisfying. I think John David Washington's performance here, uh, oh, apart from the physical stuff, mm-hmm. which, again, he's great at, former college football player, I don't think it quite brings the level of 
paranoia, maybe, about why he's being targeted that you remember from the 70s thrillers that made him so so much more effective. You just don't feel it as much. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's on the run. We know that. He doesn't know why. He, he really doesn't bring the emotion uh, as well as he does the physicality. But it's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. You got Netflix. You're you're flicking around, and you want a, a good action kind of a throwback Euro thriller. Uh, Beckett is probably going to do the trick, but it's not something you'll probably remember uh, too long afterwards. And it is on Netflix right now. Let's turn next to a documentary. It's an inquiry into decades of cultural fascination with Nazi leader Adolf Hitler and the ramifications of such a fascination on present day politics. This is called the meaning of Hitler. We've seen Hitler's dogs. His women, his cars, his food, his generals, his secretaries, his secret weapons, and his drug habit. Never before seen footage in glorious color. Fascinating fascism. Which begs the question, is it possible to make a film like this without contributing to the expansion of the Nazi cinematic universe? We only want to get to the truth in history. And if this history can be rewritten, any history can be rewritten. I know you're probably thinking the same thing we were thinking. Do we need another Hitler documentary? Well, the filmmakers know that that's what you're thinking. Which is smart. It is Get smart. Get it out there. We're it all is. thinking it. Um, it's a, And it's funny because the film does a lot not only to deconstruct the legend of Hitler, but to deconstruct films made about him. Right. You often see uh, director Petra Epperlein holding the boom mic. Like, she does the narration sometimes right in front of you. Her co-director, Michael Tucker, you can sometimes hear him asking the questions. So they do a lot to sort of remind you that you're watching a movie, Mm -hmm. that this is all being pieced together and constructed. And the other thing that they do, they ask aloud, in case you're wondering, they are actively grappling with the idea. Can we look at this subject without adding to the legend of the subject? And I think that that's an important question to ask because their point is, if we stopped that, if we just poked holes in the idea that this is so fascinating, that this guy is so fascinating, then maybe fewer people would would idolize him right now in this moment. So it's interesting. Part of what they do is they look a little bit at films made about Hitler, cinema, not documentaries, but cinematic films made mm-hmm. about him, and how, for example, he's given respect that perhaps his victims are not. You never see him kill himself in all these. There's always a dramatic door close. And then he, well, why? As they point out, he did what the Germans refer to as, quote, a wife's death. He didn't, it wasn't a heroic death. He took a cyanide pill. It wasn't a heroic death. It was a weak person's death. Because Mm -hmm. as they point out time and time again, it was a weak person. Clearly. He was a child. Mm -hmm. He behaved like a spoiled child. And then they parallel that with some other obvious current spoiled children. Who, I know, who destroy the world in their wake. Um, But that's not really, they also look a lot at how the world has tried to excuse his behavior or say he didn't really do it or say he would he'd been hypnotized or he had a bad childhood and it's just and and the other thing is that how how the masses could have followed him and as historian after historian after historian points out normal people did this right normal people did this it was the promise that they deserved more than they had that they deserved more than other people had and that they deserved to wreak violence yep. on other people those were the promises that were made and that was enough to turn a lot of people into 
hate mongers. And I think that's something that has been coming to the f- forefront in the last several years yeah. that is so important to keep pushing. Yeah. Because I remember as kids, you know, we were taught this, and of course you you just feel like, oh, they were all just sick. No, they were just like your neighbors. Yes. And Yeah, and that's so... So right now, it, yeah. when you're asking yourself, how could this person that I know think this, behave this way, be so hateful? Well, it's not yeah. that uncommon. Right. Yeah, so it's it definitely, when you're thinking about another Hitler documentary, this it finds a reason to make itself resonant, uh, especially now. And it's called, it's on VOD, called The Meaning of Hitler. How about some J-horror? After her brother goes missing, a young psychologist visits an infamous haunted and cursed location known as Howling Village to investigate his disappearance and uncover her family's dark history. It's called Howling Village. the latest from Takashi Shimizu. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Hit or miss, I'm in. You know, and I haven't seen a film of his. So he is, he did the grudge films. The Japanese versions, mm-hmm. the originals, and also the American version, or at least the first of the of the grudge American Solid. films. Solid. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very. He's done a number of other films. Uh, Japanese, J-horror, he's kind of a master of, but also some, some American remakes as well. This one is Japanese. It's not uh, an English language film. And it is not great. Its storyline gets a little bit nonsensical. Not all the performances are great. It looks spectacular. He knows how to generate creepy, creepy, creepy dread, <laughs> you know, in a, in, I mean, in a way that's just very much him. So if you're a fan of his, you'll like this movie. You're not going to love it. You're just not. But right. there's so much in his style that makes it worth your time anyway. You'll find Brandon Thomas's review, written review of the film, mm-hmm. on madwolf.com, and he agrees with that assessment. Yeah, and it is out on VOD right now called Howling Village. And we'll wrap it up with a closely observed psychological portrait of four women whose lives are bound together by an incident on the New York City subway. This is called Materna. <sighs> Cursing, because that's his problem. What do you know about problems? I am never enough for you! I gave you everything! What can I do? You can love me. You should stay hear some of the things he was saying There's to me. There's no serious. problem with my son. There is Seriously. nothing wrong what, what with my son. What do you have him reading? Mind Kampf? Get out! Now! This is actually a film from a couple of years ago, now getting a a wider release out on VOD this weekend by writer-director David Gutnick. And it was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Christy Robb, and she really liked it. She thought it was really effective. Very, yes. She was very impressed. It tells you, it takes you on four different stories, four different vignettes of women as they deal with their relationships, complicated relationships with their mothers, with their daughters, with with each other, and what they keep private and everything becomes intertwined on this subway uh, train as there is one very loud man who is all about not keeping things private. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fascinating look at the way these lives intersect and by what we do tell and what we don't 
tell. And uh, and it's very unusual. I mean, it's not like um, it's not going to remind you of other films. Yeah. Uh, out on VOD and a big recommendation, especially from Christy Robb. It's called Materna. And hey, with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. We're back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, and I see you've been posting a little bit. We've already got some more postponements, do we not? Yeah, some stuff is shifting and some plans are changing a bit. First off, before we get into the date, Disney is reportedly going to settle its lawsuit with Scarlett Johansson out of court, but expected the relationship between the actress and the studio has soured, so don't expect to see Scarlett Johansson in any Disney movies anytime soon. You mean suing people gets them mad at you? <laughs> and not and not paying gets you mad at people. Yes. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but yes, um, Venom has been pushed back three weeks to October 15th, um, which now pits it right directly against Halloween Kills. Um, I'll be surprised if someone doesn't flinch in that situation. Yeah. And uh, I could start tossing guesses around, but I think I'll just wait and see how that pans out. But the other thing that Sony is doing is while, while Hotel Transylvania 4 is still set for its early October release, apparently they are weighing the options of selling it to a streaming service. My guess would be Netflix, since they've already sold three movies, three animated movies to them in the past year. Mm-hmm. I think Wish Dragon, Mitchell's vs. Machines, and Vivo were all sold off. So... That one might be going to streaming this fall, no matter what happens with everything else. Okay. Uh, beyond that, Netflix's horror fantasy series The Witcher has an animated spinoff movie hitting on October 23rd titled The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. Uh, back in superhero territory, Disney has said they will not be postponing the release of Marvel Shang-Chi nor will they be going day and date with it like they did Black Widow. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to try out the same 45-day window that Paramount has been utilizing. Mm -hmm. So Shang-Chi will still arrive in theaters on September 3rd and then should hit Disney Plus Premier Access somewhere around late October. Wow, so even after the 45 days, you still got to do do the premiere fee. It's looking like that, Wow. And I would imagine they'll do the same thing with Eternals come November. Okay. All right. Uh, Vertical Entertainment has set a September 10th release for their indie drama, Small Engine Repair. And while not a movie, Mike Flanagan has written and directed a brand new horror miniseries for Netflix called Midnight Mass that's hitting on September 24th. It's his first original work since Hush, so I'm pretty excited about yeah. that. It looks great. It does. I know. <laughs> Keeping on the horror train, um, on October 29th, RLG Films is putting out a heavy metal, Ralph Bakshi-esque animated horror anthology titled The Spine of Night in theaters and on VOD. Mm. So there's a title for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll also be hitting Shutter earlier next year, which also isn't much of a surprise. Right. Apple TV is premiering their Tom Hanks sci-fi movie Finch on November 5th. Then on November 12th, Disney is premiering their Home Alone reboot film, Home Sweet Home Alone, on Disney+. Then Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, Tick, Tick, Boom, will hit Netflix on November 19th. Okay, yeah. Uh, December 3rd, we'll see the theatrical and VOD release of Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. That one's been waiting for release for a while now due to the, due to the pandemic. Paul Verhoeven. I haven't heard from him yeah. for a while. 
Oh, no, he's got yeah. a big one in the festivals right now. Does he? Nuns. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nuns. Over having the nuns. I'm yeah, sure that's going to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got one more for you, more on the art house front. Um, Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers will hit theaters, I assume, limited at first on December 24th. Yeah. Yeah, I just heard some brouhaha about he was was at a festival and got something got censored out of that. And then they apologized. Did you no, see that? No, it was Instagram. Was it Instagram because he posted a, a there's it was a oh, nipple. Oh, had a nipple. Yeah, and yeah. they uh, they took it down and uh, right. And then that's what it put was. It back up. Okay, that's what it was. <laughs> Nipplegate 2.0. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. You want to catch up on all the latest news? You can follow Daniel at the Schlocketeer. Thank you as always. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got the latest from Hugh Jackman out called Reminiscence. Also, The Protégé. That is Maggie Q. It is. And Michael Keaton. And I assume Bruce Willis. I'm just guessing. No, but Sam Jackson. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Okay. Also, uh, a new creepy one. Looks creepy anyway. Called The Night House. Another creepy one. Demonic. All right. Sweet Girl. Queen of the Beach. Barbara Lee, colon, Truth to Power. Habit. And Finding Kendrick Johnson. That's all next week. Might have some other things pop up as well. Uh, we'll get to those then, but right now, what do you think about any any of these selections this week? Respect, don't breathe, free guy, Coda, keep it coming. We can always uh, keep the conversation rolling. You can find us on Twitter, at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, you can find all that at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Stay well. We will talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>